0: Everyone else can turn in their Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Season 1, episode 3 of of Ruth. There is no season 2 of Ruth. Um, Let's read God's word together. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will setter, settle the matter today. Let's pray. O oh, make your word a swift word, passing from the lip to the conversation, from heart to the uh, passing from the heart to the lip in conversation. That as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word. But accomplish that for which it is given, Amen. You know, you know how I feel about my sermon titles. I just want to, I just want to point out my sermon title to you today, and um, just say that I'm kind of proud of it. So I'll wait for the chuckles um, as you, you look at. But there, there's a great, there's a great Ted Lasso quote. Uh, he says, "I believe in communism." Rom-communism, that is. If all those attractive people can go through some lighthearted struggles and come out happy in the end, then so can we, right? So the rom-com, like this, this I don't know if this is an American institution in film, but it's definitely an institution, right? These are the, the great, I don't know if they're great, uh, these are the love stories of our day that we tell each other, uh, and they 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 have this formula they have this pattern that they go through there's there's the meat cute where where the two where the couple gets together right uh the 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 woman saves a man from from the speeding train or uh the man accidentally you know uh, bumps into the movie star and spills orange juice all over her or something like that um then there's there's a complication right. One of them is, is unhappily married, or is about to be unhappily married and can't figure out how to get away with it, or, or a, a man falls in love with his brother's fake fiancé who happens to be in a coma. The brother, not the fiancé. And then there's the, the resolution. Uh, everybody finally stops emailing and just, you know, talks to each other. Um <laughs> And the, the somebody will, I mean, nine times out of ten, or maybe 50% of rom-coms, object to their own wedding. Uh, and so that's how the resolution happens. But they, they're funny. They're full, they're full of quirky characters. Uh, there's always the, the goofy-slash-loser best friend or roommate or something like that. And there's usually a dirtbag ex floating around out there. But we love them for all of those reasons, but we love them also because of their happy endings, right? We love them because somehow, for some reason, we end up rooting for this couple that's on the screen in front of us. And, and not only that, but oftentimes in, in rom-coms, there's this sense of uh, serendipity, right? That that things and, and fate is just working hard to get these two together. That, that as an audience, it's almost like we're influencing what is taking place on the screen, right? Because we're rooting for this couple. Fate itself seems to be also rooting for the couple to get together. Everybody knows that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are great together, but why can't they see it? Um, <laughs> in the end, though, what do we know? They will get together because <laughs> it would be a terrible rom-com if they didn't get together, well, okay. So the story of Ruth and Boaz isn't uh, a comedy; um, far from it. Uh, it's not even actually that romantic, at least not to not to our ears. So, but it is a love story, and it does have a twist, and it does have this strong sense that these two are are meant to be together. But it's not just some impersonal fate here that's that's working to bring them together. And really, like really, the the, the book of Ruth would make a, a terrible rom com for for today. But and honestly, even though it is a love story, the love it's on display isn't exactly the romantic love between a man and a woman. It's redeeming love the story of ruth and boaz is a story of of a love that that is a it's a shadow it's a type of a much deeper love of a true redeeming love and true redeeming love has its roots in eternity past and its source is the very heart of god for sinners like you and me and And in fact, there is a complication in the whole plot of this redeeming love that is taking place and unfolding in the story before us. The complication is sin and death. That's the complication in in our story of of God's redeeming love for his people. And the complication then is overcome by the self-sacrifice of the primary lover in the story. the the redeeming love that boaz shows to ruth is a is a shadow of a much deeper much more real love it's a love that that the covenant god yahweh has for his covenant people and i think we see a couple of characteristics of redeeming love in this chapter that that pop out most clearly to me I mean, there there are more this is not necessarily it but there are there are at least two that i see Redeeming love is generous in its compassion. And redeeming love is costly to the Redeemer. Redeeming love is generous in its compassion and costly to the Redeemer. So let's look at, let's look at those two things. But really, before we get into the, that first point, we gotta do a little, we gotta do a little Bible study homework here. Because there's, there's some things going on in this story that are foreign to our culture, our ears, our sensibilities even. And so really before we get in that first point, we need to understand uh, a concept or a couple of concepts really. The first is this idea of what's called leveret marriage in the Bible. And this is going to seem weird to us because it comes from the word uh, lever, which is Latin for brother-in-law, right? And so Deuteronomy 25 says and God's law says Deuteronomy twenty five, five through six, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead men, man, shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So this was a practice. So if, if uh, there were two brothers and one of them married and then that brother died, it was the duty of the other brother to marry the widow of his brother and then produce an heir for that, that brother that is now deceased. So this this was a common practice. This not only happened in the nation of Israel, this happened in a lot of other uh, nations and people groups around Israel at that time. This sort of ancient Near Eastern thing that took place. So we need to understand that, but also we need to understand that this was actually part of Israel's law as a nation, this is, this is found in the book of Deuteronomy. But don't worry, uh, this is not, uh, you're, you're not going to be required to, to marry your brother-in-law if, if your husband dies, because uh, this was part of the nation-state of Israel. Uh, but the purpose of this practice was to perpetuate the name and therefore the life and line of the deceased. And this was important in Israel at the time, this was important among God's people, so that, as later on in Deuteronomy 25, it says, so that he would build up his brother's house. Basically, what is happening is the, the brother-in-law that marries the widow, this is starting to sound like a Ray Stevens song, um, would produce offspring, heirs for the deceased to secure the inheritance and make sure the land stays in the proper family. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Any questions? In the book of Ruth, this idea of leveret marriage and the Old Testament kinsman redeemer are tied together. The kinsman redeemer that we kind of looked at and talked about a little bit last week is that close relative that has this duty and this responsibility, again, as a part of the civil laws of the nation of Israel to buy back or to redeem Members of their family who have sold, who have done things like sold themselves into slavery to pay a debt or something like that. Or one of their duties might be to buy back the land inheritance of the family that has been sold outside of the family so that it might stay within the family. Or even, in some cases, to take vengeance upon The murderer; they would become the the avenger of blood, is what it's called in the Old Testament. So these were all potential responsibilities of this kinsman redeemer that was another role. So Boaz in the story of Ruth is taking on both of these responsibilities, not only as the one who would redeem uh, the inheritance, the land inheritance of Elimelech, but also. Produce and and ensure the continuation of the line of Elimelech uh, and his son Malon. Okay, so that is that's kind of the, the the background of what is taking place here. There's a sense in the nation of Israel and in the Old Testament that the land itself was a great gift of God to the people. I mean, that's not just a sense. That's that's a, a a biblical truth that is that is central to the identity of God's people in this part of redemptive history. And so it's very important uh, not only to the people of Israel but to God himself that that land gift, the integrity of that land gift stays true to the families that it was originally given to. And so that's why we have all of this trouble being gone to to make sure that the land stays within the family that it was originally imparted to. And that there is a an, an inheritor ready to take over uh, the ownership of that land. Because that land itself was the blessing. That was, that was part of God's blessing to God's people, is to hold on to the land. That's why in later on in Israel's history... When idolatry is rampant and everywhere there, there are people worshiping idols, what is it that Israel loses as they go into exile? They lose the land. They are kicked out of the land of Israel. So we've got to keep this, this mindset firmly in front of us that, that the land is God's blessing and it's paramount that that land is the, the integrity of that blessing is maintained throughout the generations of Israel. Okay. <laughs> there are a lot of other people and a lot of ink that has been spilled over this that could explain it better than I just have to you. But hopefully that will help us as we go forward. Okay, let's look at this redeeming love is generous in its compassion. So episode two kind of ended with Ruth continuing to glean in the fields of, of Boaz until the end of the barley season. So in terms of our time past, it's been about six to eight weeks since the beginning of chapter two in the book of Ruth that Ruth has been going out and gleaning in the fields of Boaz after his workers with his young ladies. So Naomi has kind of sort of bided her time now as things have gone on, but now it's time to act. And Boaz was going to be overseeing the threshing of all of this grain that had been harvested, And so the way they would do this is there were there were barns set up and they were kind of like wind tunnels that were placed to the east of the city, or to the west of the city rather, to catch the, the breeze coming off the Mediterranean Sea and they would be oriented so that the breeze would blow right down through this barn and they would toss the the heads of grain into the air and the heavier seed would fall to the ground while the chaff, the husks and all of that sort of debris that nobody wants is caught by the wind and blown away. So it was this long, laborious process, but that's what they were doing. And they started uh, in the evening when the wind sort of started to blow off of the, the sea as the temperature in the air is cooling. And so uh, Ruth, Naomi tells Ruth to get dressed up, take a bath, put on some perfume, look nice, and go down to the threshing floor uh, discreetly, and because the plan was somewhat risky for for Ruth as she does this. I mean uh, and so wait till the party had died down, and Boaz falls asleep. And the custom was for the men to sleep in the barn with the grain to guard it throughout the night. And so uh, after Boaz falls asleep, she says, Go and uncover his feet, and lay down at his feet, so you, you see the boldness and risk for for a young single woman at the time, especially a foreign woman, a woman from outside of the nation of Israel from moab and, and there there has been some speculation that there 's something not good going on here in this word. What does it mean? Uncover his feet? We see it in verses four and seven. Uh, but based on what we've seen and what we know of Ruth's character, what we know of Boaz's character, uh, Boaz was described in chapter 2 as being a worthy man, which means valiant or gallant or, or, or of high moral character, not just uh, wealthy, although he was that too. And Ruth here, Boaz, says everybody knows you're a worthy woman. It's the same word describing Ruth that was used to describe Boaz. So we know about their character, and anything not proper would be wildly out of place in this story. So we can discount anything actually improper going on or inappropriate going on when he says uncover his feet. We'll explain what it does mean in just a minute. But look in verse 6, it says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Uncovering Boaz's feet and lying down, is an expression of complete dependence, complete helplessness, complete dependence upon the compassion of Boaz. What it is, is Ruth is is taking the the place of a dependent child as she does this, uh, as Boaz lays down to sleep, under the hem of Boaz's cloak for warmth and protection there's a lot of ways that a man might respond to this situation, waking up and finding this single young woman uh, placing herself in such a compromising position. And it, it was a compromising position. And the way Ruth presents herself, she's, she's dressed up, she, she has anointed herself. Uh, she is very strongly signaling her desire to have Boaz as her redeemer in terms of levirate marriage and and perpetuating her husband's line and inheritance in the land of Israel. This is as close as she can come to a proposal of marriage. And how does Boaz respond? Boaz responds to Ruth's posture of dependence with this fatherly compassion. And really, that's, that's the only appropriate response at this point in the story and at this, in this situation. But he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. He calls her my daughter. In response to her expression of dependence, Boaz expresses in a way his own dependence. Right? He's saying, may you be blessed by the Lord. You, you're coming to me seeking this blessing, but really it's the Lord who, who has to bless you. And if he uses me to bless you, that'd be that's great. He says, "You came here expecting a blessing from Boaz, but it's the covenant Lord who is the ultimate blesser of us all." In other words, Boaz is saying, "I can only have compassion on you because he has had compassion on me and had compassion on us all." So, Boaz recognizes this role of his as one of Ruth's redeemers. He recognizes his duty. He recognizes his ability to act as a redeemer, but he doesn't do it grudgingly. He does it with gladness. He does it with joy. He does it with with glad and generous compassion. Verse 10 and 11, he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after other young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So what does he mean? What does he mean when he say you, you have made this last kindness greater than the first? Uh, what is the what is the last kindness? The last kindness that Boaz is referring to is is Ruth's pursuit of him as her redeemer. It's what Ruth has done that night in signaling to him her desire to have him as her redeemer. So that's the last kindness. What is the first kindness? Well, I think it's in in chapter 2, verse 11, when Boaz says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz looks on this obligation that is prescribed to him in God's law in, in Deuteronomy, and it is an obligation. Ruth has some rights here. He looks at this obligation not as a burden, but as a kindness done to him. It's a kindness done to him by this woman who has nothing. This needy, poor widow. It's a joy for Boaz to be named Redeemer by Ruth. Only a heart full of compassion for needy people can view it that way. Have you ever thought... That it's a joy for God to be your redeemer. That God delights to be your redeemer. He delights to love you with this redeeming love. If it's a joy for this man in this situation, Boaz and Ruth, both sinners, both subject to all the weaknesses and and fears and worries and, and temptations of sinful men and women, if Boaz can feel this joy to be named as a redeemer for Ruth, how much more then is God's heart rejoicing in his redemption of his needy, broken, impoverished people? How much more then is God's heart oriented towards his needy people in compassion? Verse 9 Ruth says to Boaz, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth is asking Boaz to be the incarnation of the protective, sheltering love of God. And Boaz responds gladly because he knows full well the generous, loving kindness of God for his poor, dependent, helpless, stumbling people. This echoes what Boaz says to Ruth in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ezekiel 16 paints this, this really, really powerful image of the relationship of the covenant God, Yahweh, with his unfaithful people, this image of god 's unfailing love for his idolatrous, adulterous bride, the people are depicted as this at the beginning of Ezekiel as this pitiful, abandoned baby that, that nobody wants and is left by the side of the road. Nobody even bothers to wipe off the blood from this this newborn child this newborn girl and she is left by the side of the road and she grows up into the bride of the Lord and Ezekiel sixteen eight says this when I passed by you again and saw you behold you were at the age for love and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. (laughs) Dane Ortland, in his book Gentle and Lowly says, For those united to him, the heart of Jesus is not a rental. (laughs) It is your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant, you are a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances of his presence and comfort. Whatever our present spiritual accomplishments, it is who he is. Do you see what's being, do you see the the meta story, the over story of this this book? We see illustrated in, in Boaz and Ruth's Ruth's story, uh, the, the perfect fulfillment of this love in the heart of Jesus. He covers you with his garments of righteousness. In his great compassion for our weakness, in his great compassion for our need and our brokenness, in his great compassion for you and me, He covers the nakedness of our unholiness with his perfect holiness. Unfaithful sinners are made daughters and sons of the king. Redeeming love uh, is costly to the redeemer. Verses 12 and 13. Boaz says, and now it's true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, uh, then good. Let him do it. But if he will not, but if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Okay, well, here's the the complication, right, in this this rom-com that's not at all a rom-com. There's this closer relative that has a greater claim as a redeemer and we're going to have to wait and see how that plays itself out in the story of Ruth and Boaz. I don't want to uh, give any spoilers away but 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 Ruth and Boaz go back to sleep. They, they rise discreetly in the morning to avoid tarnishing anyone's character and I love that it says before anyone could recognize one another so that for us is anywhere between 6 and 10 a.m. Um, <laughs> Boaz, however, is determined. He is a determined redeemer. Verse 15, he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. He he is giving her this token. He is giving her this uh, expression uh, of, of his intentions to do exactly what he has said that he is going to do. This token of, of the excessive means that he is prepared to go through to be Ruth's redeemer. That, that Ruth will be redeemed from her circumstances, either by this mysterious other guy or by Boaz. And Boaz is prepared to sacrifice for Ruth. Boaz knows the costliness of what he plans to do. He's going gonna to have to pay something in order to to fulfill this promise that he's made to her. But the six measures that he measures out into Ruth's big cloak thing, and it was apparently pretty big, that's a a lot. It's a lot of grain that he is given to her. It's so much that it says, you know, he put it on her. He has to help her uh, pick it up and carry it. He put it on her shoulder. One commentator, I don't you know about measurements and things like that, but said this, this could have been as much as 80 pounds of... Now, if you remember what, what she gleaned on the first day of gleaning was about 30 pounds, and she was, she was excited about that. Here's 80 pounds. So, uh, first of all, Ruth is a beast. Um, <laughs> she has to walk all the way back into town with this much weight on her shoulders. But it's just a token I think if Ruth had had like a wheelbarrow or a cart or something like that, Boaz would have just continued to heap it on, keep it on as much as she could possibly get home on her own because it's an indication of his intent. It's proof, proof that he's as good as his word. And we'll see how the rest of this story plays out for Ruth and Boaz. But where do we see, where do we receive this sort of assurance ourselves of the redemption that has been promised to us and has been given to us through the Lord Jesus? Where do we see the fuller expression of, of our Savior and our Redeemer's redeeming love for us? What's, it's in the table that's set before us. It's in the Lord's table as we come to it every week. We, we're coming to a feast that has been dearly bought for us. As we enter into this room together each week, as we enter into uh, our community uh, life together and worship God together, we, we come before his word and we're fed from his word uh, and, and he nourishes us by his spirit and we, we come and partake of this this sacrament of the Lord's Supper and we, we, are, we are told each week that this is Christ's body which is broken for you and this is his blood which is shed for you. And we, we take in that promise. We take in that expression of God's faithfulness to his people. We're, we're strengthened by it. Those promises are sealed within us. That we, we receive this as the reminder of what Christ has already done to redeem us. That our redemption is complete in him we we receive in him in the sacrament the seal of the knowledge of his saving redeeming love for his people we're coming to a feast that has been dearly bought for us we're coming in, in one sense to lay ourselves down at the feet of the redeemer we're saying spread your wings over us we need your protection We need your provision. We are receiving a taste of the bounty that is one day going to be fully ours. As we're given a new home and a new identity in Christ, we come and we feast and we rest and we are not sent away empty. But we are filled with the knowledge of grace, with with the determination of our Savior, with the love of Christ who, who made the enormous cost of our salvation worth it. As I close, I want to close with these words from Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 8, uh, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the poverty of Jesus willingly willingly taken, willingly submitted to by our Redeemer. We thank you for his leaving the, the glories and the, the riches and the, the the beauty and majesty and glory and fellowship that he had with 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 the Father and the Spirit and and coming to earth he set all of those things aside and, and came to earth to be born in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, so that in him uh, we might walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Lord, thank you for uh, all of the, the goodness that is, is ours in our Redeemer, Christ Jesus our Lord.